Hello, welcome to Wartime Theology, a show recorded from the campus of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, where a group of Reformed Christians tackle theological and societal issues for the glory of God. The purpose of this podcast is to converse about issues that are important to the evangelical community and seek to provide insightful commentary that ultimately brings glory to Christ and helps upbuild the Christian listener. We ask and answer the questions everyone is afraid to tackle with open Bibles. Today's topic, we're going to be talking about the atonement and the work which Jesus accomplished on the cross, which is really exciting. We've been ready for this one. It helps pull everything together. Alex, would you pray for us? Sure. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the atonement. Thank you for how you are willing to descend from your holy throne and come down to us sinful people. And Lord, find it pleasing to you that that you should suffer with us, alongside of us, and ultimately die in our place and take the wrath of God for us, God. Thank you so much, Jesus, for that. It is what seals our salvation. It is how we can have a relationship with God. It is how we are restored from our sinful nature. And it is how you are ultimately glorified, God. Thank you so much uh, just for your goodness, your mercy, and your graciousness towards us. It is only you that could have done such a wonderful thing. We pray that you would bless our words, that we wouldn't say anything that displeases you. Mm. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. In the episodes up until now, we have gone over three broad and important topics. The holiness of God, the depravity of man, and the punishment of sin. Before we get to the atonement, we're going to do like a brief recap of some of the points made in those episodes, kind of going over why it's important to, to talk about these things in relation to the atonement to the atonement yeah mm-hmm. so starting with the holiness of god i'll let you start okay yeah so what we covered in the episode on the holiness of god if you have not already checked that episode out i highly recommend going back and listening to that one because it it really doesn't make sense until they're all put together that's why we put these episodes in a series the gospel series because yep. all of them interweave and without one the whole message is jumbled up. So the holiness of God, that episode, we talked about how God is perfect. He is changeless. We went over the attributes of God, how he's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's also the judge of the universe. He is the ultimate standard of good. And he's completely morally, spiritually perfect. And he has full rights over all of humanity. He created them. He gives them everything that they have. And he has full rights over them he owns humanity and can do anything he wants with them yeah today's focus obviously is the atonement and the focus of the atonement is jesus so that's going to be our main focus today it should be our main focus in all the episodes yeah <laughs> uh, but we're going to be talking about the divine attributes of jesus how jesus is god if we didn't stress that enough Hope we will now. And so John 1 is one of the most explicit sections of Scripture that talks about the divinity of Jesus. Many people want to speak badly about this aspect of Jesus' nature, only saying that he is a teacher or that he's just a moral 
person, this morally upright historical person, but he's really much more than that. And he claims that, and his followers, his closest followers knew this knew this so well. Um, so I'll just read some of the scripture. In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then later on in verse 14, it really screams. We're talking about Jesus here when it says, And the word, the word being Jesus, the word meaning Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So there is a lot in that, but what John is essentially saying here is Jesus was in the beginning with God, and not only was he in the beginning with God, the, the word, that little term, the word, meaning Jesus, was God. Yeah. Jesus is God. <laughs> yeah, and putting this into the perspective of the rest of the Old Testament and everything, we can look back and see how a lot of the times where you have like the angel of the Lord and things like that in the Old Testament, that's really Jesus, you know, pre before his his birth into the world in this, mm-hmm. in that sense. But that's really Jesus because we know that the Bible also says that the Father's never been seen by anyone. Mm-hmm. So that was all you know, Jesus before he had been dwelling in, in the flesh, mm-hmm. in a sense, mm-hmm. before he took on his body and became a baby uh, born in a manger. So we can also talk about the depravity of man, you know, we are, and why this is important. Yeah, so in the episode on the depravity of man, we covered the fact, the plain and simple fact that people are not good, uh, naturally, according to the scripture, and, you know, you just look around practically, you can see uh, outside of yourself and within yourself that humans are evil our hearts are bad and they're turned towards selfishness and they're turned towards disobedience and rebellion against God and the Bible talks about that and in relation to Jesus specifically in Romans 5 so in Romans 5 starting at verse 15 it says but the free gift is not like the trespass for if many died through one man's trespass this is talking about Adam. He's the one man here. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. That is Adam's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So you see this sort of like parallel, this idea that Adam and Jesus had a something sort of similar where Adam failed and Jesus succeeded. And you also see throughout the whole Old Testament a lot of different Jesus types who ultimately fail. They aren't the promised Savior who may have seemed close you know, but they're not the one. They still fail humanly, like David. King David's a great example of that, who was, a, in a sense, a savior to his people, but he mm-hmm. wasn't the savior. And he was telling of the real savior who was to come, 
Jesus Christ. Mm. And so you see that throughout the whole Old Testament. And so because of our sinful and wicked nature, which came through Adam, we have the opposite of that, which comes through Jesus, which is life and the free gift of grace, despite the fact that we are wicked, sinful, and horrible people, Mm. despite the fact that we do deserve hell, which is what we're going to talk about next. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And just right before we go on to that that next one, it's so cool. So, Josh, you're taking Old Testament right now. Yes. Right. And then I took it last semester uh, at, here at Southeastern College of Southeastern. Whoop, whoop. And uh, but one of the one of the most um, wonderful things that we learned about was like you like you mentioned the different Old Testament Jesus types. Yeah. So like these Israelite leaders or these judges that God had appointed, these almost perfect people, almost you know like these really. A lot of them were just really upstanding people. Like David was called the man after God's own heart. Moses was another Jesus type. You know, these deliverer, morally upright people that that are just great and and love the Lord and all these things. But I love how the Old Testament doesn't back away from their, their own depravity. You know, it doesn't back away from their own faults just to leave sort of like no excuse. Like these... The, even these morally upstanding people knew that they could not earn their way to God. There had to be another mediator. There, yeah. had to, there had to be somebody greater that was going to truly bond man and God back together again. These these great people, as, as wonderful as they were, could not do it. And I just think that's really cool to think about. So the next point, the punishment of sin. Uh, we this was our last episode this is our last episode yep yes so the punishment of sin was our last episode and in that we talked about obviously because of our rebellious nature and because of god's goodness and his just character he is a judge and he will set things right because of that aspect of his character and because of our rebellion our evil and wicked hearts we deserve his judgment we deserve god's wrath yeah what's so awesome about the gospel and about the atonement, what we're going to get to next is that Jesus took that for us on the cross. So he took the wrath of God on the cross. It doesn't end there, but he took the wrath of God on the cross. So uh, in Romans 5, uh, verses 8 and 9, says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So what this is heavily implying that we were looking through scriptures and trying to find some explicit statements of of the atonement and all of them are just sort of heavily implying this idea of atonement and verse 9 much more than having now been justified by his blood we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him what is he what is Paul saying he's saying Jesus has taken the wrath of God for us yep. Jesus has taken it and because Jesus took the wrath of God because Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. We don't have to face that now. We don't, we, that's not what's waiting for people who put their trust in him. Yeah. And when we look at other scriptures, like John in first John, it talks about the idea of propitiation and that word really just meaning a satisfying sacrifice. It appeases the wrath of God. That's what Jesus was. He was an appeasement to the wrath of God. And so as Christians, there is no more idea of wrath. There, we we are not enduring the wrath of God at all. He has no wrath towards us because Jesus Christ 
has perfectly appeased it throughout all time. Yep. He is a satisfying sacrifice, not a one-time sacrifice in, a, in the sense that he didn't satisfy it forever, but only for one period of time. He only mm-hmm. did it one time. I'm not saying yeah. that. Yeah. But <laughs> he satisfied it one time for all time. Mm. So this idea that he has perfectly satisfied the wrath of God. Mm. And that's at the heart of the gospel right there, you know, that, that Jesus took the punishment for us one time for all time. I really like that you said that. Yeah. To give a little background to the punishment of sin, to give a little background to the the characteristic of God punishing rebellion. So in the Old Testament, you know, the reason Josh said this was one sacrifice that lasted all time instead of it just covering the sins of the people for a short time. The reason he said that is because in the Old Testament, the way to atone for sin was through periodic sacrifice. It mm-hmm. was through the shedding of blood of a quote-unquote spotless lamb. That was really done to point forward to Jesus, to Jesus' yeah. final sacrifice. But what God showed the people in making the, in commanding them to sacrifice spotless lambs to him to atone for their sin, to, to appease the wrath of God, is to show them, this is what you deserve. And in Exodus 12, it talks about the first Passover lamb. Uh, Exodus 12, verse 13 says, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So... The Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, and God was telling them to put blood over the doorposts of their house so that when the angel of death came through to punish the Egyptians, that the angel of death wouldn't destroy the Israelites. He wouldn't come into the Israelites' homes. And so there's this whole idea in the New Testament that because of people's sin, there needs to be atonement, and that atonement comes through the shedding of blood. So God wanting to show us how serious he is about sin, to wanting to show us how, how much he hates it, how much he hates rebellion, and how holy he is, it plays into the holiness of God as well, he insists that blood be shed for sin. And so, you know, they would have to sacrifice the lamb so that they would symbolically put their sins onto the lamb and remove themselves from the sin and then kill an innocent creature to obey God, to, to obey God in, in doing that, but also to show themselves, this is what I deserve for sin. This is how holy God is, you mm-hmm. know, and this is what is, this is what atones for my sin is this shedding of blood. And, and obviously this points to the New Testament fulfillment in Jesus Christ. John 3. Yeah. Did you have that? So Jesus is that, like Alex was saying, he's that satisfying sacrifice. He is that Passover lamb who was given to us. And so go, let's go a bit, little bit deeper into that. We're going mm-hmm. to start at John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus, who he gets straight to the point, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you not the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish eternal life. I'm going to stop there for just a second before I go on. You see here, Jesus makes a clear indication that we need a change. Um, he says we need to be born again. It's this idea of like a new creation, which is what other scripture will say. And it's really the same idea that you need to be born again. You need to be a new creation. You need a new heart. You need a change that can only come from God. And it says that this is a change that comes from the Spirit. You need to be born of Spirit. One of the awesome things is that when we become Christians, we are born of Spirit. God sends His Spirit into us, and we are born of Spirit. Then Nicodemus is confused by all this, and Jesus answers him, talking to him about how this has all been in the Scripture. It's all in the Old Testament, you know? You're a teacher of these things, you don't know them? Then he goes back and tells about the story of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. And this verse is really key for the context of the next few verses, talking about Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. When Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, you know, the snakes were going throughout the camp, if you know the story. There were snakes that were going throughout the camp, and they were very poisonous, and they were biting people, and the people were dying. God told Moses to take a bronze serpent and put it around a pole, put it in the middle where everyone can see it. And whoever looked upon the serpent was saved. And that's... That's the context here for John 3.16. And the important part is that you have to look upon the Savior to be saved. Mm -hmm. You can't just, you're not just automatically saved. There has to be that looking. And this is, this goes on too. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So we see here that the reason God sent his Son into the world was not so that he can just condemn the world. And we're going to learn later that the world's already condemned. It's already it's already toast. You know, He didn't come in to come back and be like, you know what, you really messed up again. I'm going to destroy you again. If you look throughout the Old Testament, condemnation is throughout the whole thing. Just like, you messed up again. Destruction, you know. Just throughout the whole Old Testament, you see this condemnation. When the prophets come and they preach, they preach the condemnation. Jesus is coming. He's not preaching the condemnation like Israel's going to be destroyed again. No, he's talking about something different. He's coming to save. He's coming to fix what has been broken. He's coming to restore Israel and to make a new people which are born of spirit. It also says we have to believe in him. If we don't believe, we're condemned already because we didn't believe. And believing here, again, remember the context. It's not just 
this idea that I think he exists. <laughs> it's not this idea that, oh, Jesus exists, so I, I think that's true. That means I'm, I'm a Christian, right? Or I just know a lot about Jesus. I know all these things, and I, I know they're true. It's not that. It's this idea that you're believing in him to save you. You're looking at him on the cross, just like those people looked on the bronze serpent to save them. You're looking at him to save you. You are looking at him, and that requires that humility, that coming to grips with the fact that you're a sinner, because you want to have to actually be saved from your sin, because that's what's killing you. So it's like, God, I'm a sinner. I need to look to you. Only you can save me. That's this idea here. Now I'm going to read the uh, the rest of this passage. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. That light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And this goes into why do people not believe in Jesus, or why are they rejecting him, and what is this judgment or this condemnation the judgment and condemnation is that he's given them the light. It's right there. Whoever turns to him, anyone can accept it. You know, this this idea that anyone who turns to him, anyone who goes to that light, he will be accepted in. But the reason we don't go to that light, the reason we refuse what Christ has done for us is because we love evil more than we love light. We love this darkness and we keep going to it. And so... That's kind of going into what our next episode will be about too, which is about how do we, how can we respond to the gospel? That's really talking about response. This really goes through sort of everything. John three is a great passage for that. Yeah. And um, we're also going to go through Isaiah fifty three and fifty four and explain and just really go through the actual sacrifice that God that Jesus did on the cross. Mm-hmm. So I'll read Isaiah fifty three. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, 
because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many, and interceded for the transgressors. So, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, I think, before we go on to 54, let's... Yeah. Just talk about this. Yeah, yeah, for real. Go through it. I think, you know, this is a passage that if you're, you know, if you're a Christian or if you read the Bible perhaps a lot, this is something that you're probably going to read a lot. But you have to really, it's really important to realize how real this is. You know, this is not, this is not just some poetic speech. This is what happened to the Son of God for mankind, for his enemies, for the degenerate sinners that we are, mm. he died for us. Yeah. At the beginning, he's not something that we desire. He doesn't fit our image of of what God of is what God's supposed to be like. Yeah. He didn't come in on the white horses. He will one day. But he didn't come in like like the I don't know, the emperor of the time, Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, yeah. Yeah, you know, coming in with the big horses and with <laughs> his little thing majig, you know. <laughs> beautiful face probably didn't have a beautiful face but it's <laughs> yeah. a different story yeah. but this idea of this you know god on earth kind of uh, greek view of yep. seeing things of like hercules you know coming in like hercules that's a good way of putting it i think yeah that's not what it says here it says that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him mm. and no beauty that we should desire him mm. he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces he was despised and we esteemed not he was he was rejected by men he was like the social outcast of the time we hid our faces from him we were like oh that's Jesus and, uh, I don't want to look uh, yeah. yeah you know it's kind of like that homeless person on the street and you're like I have money but I don't want to give it to him and you just can't look him in the face yeah it's kind of like that, you know, this idea of that we just can't even, we don't want to have anything to do with that. Yeah. We don't want to have to give up any part of ourselves yeah. to look at him. We despised him. We hated him. Yeah. We rejected him. Yeah. This is not saying they rejected him. Saying we. This is saying we rejected him. This is saying <laughs> you rejected him. Yeah. This is saying that you hated Jesus. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we see that even throughout Jesus' life. He was born for a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. It's just this this image of of this person. It's, it's, so it's just this type. So it presents this type, this image of this man who doesn't deserve what is coming to him. Right? Everything is social treatment and especially this this act that it talks about where he bears our iniquities he bears our sorrows he takes the punishment and he's crushed by the lord mm. the lord was pleased 
to crush him. When I read that verse 10, I was just thinking like, the Lord didn't, he didn't just look at Jesus and was like, well, I guess I have to. It says the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering, right? So Jesus rendered himself this offering to God on behalf of humanity who despised him. And that picture is made all the more amazing and uh, God-glorifying when you realize that this man, this figure, is the creator, Mm -hmm. you know? This man isn't just some upright man who maybe never sinned in his life, though that would be really cool. He, He never sinned, but he's so much more than a man. He is God himself, you know? And that is amazing that, uh, you know, that, that, that God would form a plan like that saying, I love them so much. God so loved the world that he gave mm. his only son that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. I love them so much and they hate me so much that the only way I'm going to grab their attention and satisfy my wrath is by coming down and taking it myself i love them so much i'm gonna take it myself and if you think about it god knows the depths of his own punishment he's the one that doles it out he knows how terrible and horrible it is to be punished by him and he said i love them so much i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it and this is so important to be focusing on and remembering let's say that Everyone in my family, everyone I know, everyone I love dies. Horrible, tragic death. You know, I, when I read this, even if that were to happen and I look and I were to look at Jesus, how on earth could I ever be angry or mad at him? How could I ever view this as, you know, this is evil and what God is doing here is not good? I can't, Mm -hmm. not to say that it's not bad that these things happen. It was bad in a sense, bad that Jesus had to be crushed. Yeah. But at the same time, it was the will of God and God brought something so much good, so, so much good out of this. He was able to redeem his people. And not only that, but his son is sitting at the right hand of the father. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bible says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength and mm-hmm. <laughs> with everything. You yeah. love him with everything. Yeah. And there was only one person who ever did this and that was jesus christ he and when he had to go and take the cross you know when he had to go and bear the wrath of god for us it wasn't necessarily just us he was thinking about the biggest and most important thing he was thinking about was his father father. he Mm -hmm. said father not not my will but your will be done he wanted Mm -hmm. his will he and that's good that he didn't think of us first because if he did then he would have been disobeying the number one commandment no he thought of God, his father, his father first. first. He put him yeah. first before himself, giving us the perfect example of sacrifice and of love, the same sort of sacrifice and love we need to have for God and mm. for his son. Yeah. This idea of giving everything that we have for Jesus. When we mm. look at the gospel, when we see how he was willing to be pierced for our transgressions, when he was willing to be crushed for our iniquities, when he was willing to make his soul as an offering for guilt, our guilt, not his guilt. Yep. When we see that, then it's like it puts a newness in our life. Mm. <laughs> wow, Jesus yeah. 
Jesus did that. Yeah. And there's so many implications to that too. Like when we put our trust in Jesus and when we, when God credits Jesus's account to our account and when God looks at us, he doesn't see Alex Renner anymore. When God looks at me after I put my trust in Jesus, he doesn't see Alex Renner's sin, his evil nature, his evil heart. He sees Jesus because when Jesus takes that punishment for us, then he stands in our place to where we get we get to walk free out of the courtroom and we get to we get to enjoy the riches uh, that that the judge lived, you know, lived with, you know, like the that the judge had. We get to have the riches that the judge had. We get to we get to experience that. And so, you know, that has practical implications, too. Anyways, uh, looking looking um in Isaiah 53, another thing I think that just puts another exclamation mark on this image of Jesus taking the sin of our sin on the cross is when you look at the relation, like you were talking about, the relationship between Jesus and his father, between Jesus and God, and you know that Jesus is the God man, and you look at the nature of God, how God is eternal, like we talked about in the holiness of God. God is eternal. He is three in one. He, he exists in a trinity. And uh, and Jesus is the part of that trinity. And so Jesus and the Father have been in eternal union with each other. Mm. They have been in eternal relationship with each other, with each other, completely perfect in their relationship, completely unified and bonded as father and son, in love with each other, and just in this amazing union we cannot even fathom nothing on earth has ever expressed or or shown how tight jesus and his father were yeah and once we realize just how perfect that union was how how jesus was completely satisfied in his father and vice versa you know when when we when we realize that that they are just mad head over heels for each other. They just love each other as father and son. Mm. And they're just in this wonderful bond. Then that makes the gospel even more, the atonement of Christ, even more amazing. That mm. that Jesus would say, well, one, would love the father so much that he would do anything the father would say. The father said, Jesus, I want you to pay for the sins of the world. I'm going to... I'm going to punish you. I'm going to give you a sinner's punishment. Are mm. you willing to do that for me? Do you love me that much? And Jesus said, "Father, I don't want to I don't want to experience the pain, but I love you so much, Father. Mm. I love you so much, Abba, that I will do anything for you. I will obey you." And just out of that love, it just you're just like wow like jesus and god would love us so much they you know they didn't need us you no. know they're they're eternal they're changeless they they we, they are not contingent upon us we were reading a little thing from um uh the london baptist confession this earlier this morning and it it talks about god how he he doesn't need anything in his creation. He, the only reason he created anything that we know as life or that we know as material reality is because it was it pleased him to do it. And so he doesn't need his creation. It, yeah. It's there because it gives him pleasure, and that's it. That's the only reason. And so, you know, God doesn't God doesn't need us, but he he wanted 
the he wanted the the masterpiece. He wanted the art, the the painting to be finished. And he said, Jesus, this is how we're going to finish this painting by by you obeying me in this way. And we're going to restore humanity and we're going to bring sinners into the family of God so that they can join in this eternal joy that you and I share, you know? Mm. And this is how it happens because, you know, God is not inconsistent and he must punish for for sin. And so he he was not going to compromise on his own character by saying, I'll just forgive them with no payment. No, yeah. there had to be a payment. And God loved us so much that he was willing to take that payment himself. And Praise th- God. Mm, amen. And I think that's important to realize the difference between Christianity and a lot of other religions is that just have God forgiving things willy-nilly. Mm. Is that <laughs> we have real forgiveness. You want to know why? Because it was paid. Mm. It was paid for by the blood of Christ. No other religion can say, oh, it was paid for by the blood of God. Yeah, amen. Ours is the only one that was paid for by the blood of Christ. And we can have full assurance that it was paid for because he didn't stay dead. He was raised from the grave. Mm. Amen. Yeah. All these other religions, man, ultimately they'll say, you know, if you try to push put, you know, push a little bit and say, well, you know, well, I've sinned. How does God let me into heaven? You say he's perfect. He's this perfect deity. How does he let me into heaven? If they say anything other than God took it himself, there's no way that that sin could be atoned for. There's no way that that God is perfect. Because if that God, if a sinner comes to that God and says, Oh, well, I did more good things than I did bad things. God, if he is truly omnipotent, he knows all things, and he knows the corruption of that human heart, and he just forgives them because they did more good, quote-unquote good, that outweighs the bad, then that that God is not perfect because there's no payment for that. If he just forgives them for the bad things they've done, it's like, eh, whatever. You know, there's no payment, and, and therefore he's not, a, he's not perfect. He's not, he's not our God, definitely not our God. Mm. who is perfect and yeah. does require punishment and payment for sin. And so now moving on a little bit forward to, uh, forward to chapter 54, I want to express that it's not just the fact that he just paid our sins, which is mm-hmm. incredible in its own. If he had just paid our sins, what an amazing, wonderful, incredible guy we would have. But he didn't stop there because he's such an amazing, good, incredible God and Father that... He has given us amazing promises, promises that, honestly, we can't comprehend. We really cannot. And so we're going to read 54. And remember, this is directly after 53. This is all in the same context. So if you would like to read 54. Yeah, so Isaiah chapter 54 reads, Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame, and do not feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth, and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, 
who is called the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. For this is like the days of Noah to me, when I swore that the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony, and your foundations I will lay in sapphires. Moreover, I will make your battlements of rubies and your gates of crystal and your entire wall of precious stones. All your sons will be taught of the Lord, and the well-being of your sons will be great. In righteousness you will be established, you will be far from oppression, for you will not fear, and from terror, for it will not come near you. If anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. Whoever assails you will, will fall because of you. Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and brings out a weapon for its work, and I have created the destroyer to ruin. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Mm. And there's a lot there, and we could keep reading into 55, and we'd we'll probably read 55 with the, the next one, because that kind of goes into a response as well. It's uh, such a good chapter. Mm. But remember, this is in context. Jesus has just won the victory. You know, he's. it talks about how he's going to count many to be righteous, that he's going to bear their iniquities, that he's going to divide a portion with many. So this is in that same context that we're supposed to sing aloud, even if we're, you know, barren, even if we're, you know, destitute. It's like we're not that way anymore. Yep. God is giving us life. We were barren. Yep. We were destitute. We were cast off. God was angry with us. Yep. We had nothing. But because of what Jesus has done, not only has he forgiven us of our sins, but he is giving us an everlasting covenant. This is a new covenant. This everlasting covenant of peace. you know, And it, it uses the, the picture of the days of Noah. He said that he swore that there would, be, there would never be another flood of water on the earth. So this is the idea that if you have truly accepted Christ as your Savior and, you have, and you're part of this covenant, the chances of you losing that... Or the same chances of it that there will be a worldwide flood again, <laughs> which is nothing. None. There's yeah. none because God has swore that he's not going to do it. There is no anger. It says that, that there's no anger anymore. He said, so I've sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed. He is... He is at total peace with us. There's no war. There's no uh, enmity between us and God anymore. If we have accepted him as our Savior, if He, if we have that relationship with him, there's no more. There's nothing stopping us. Not only that, we are the children of God. Mm. He says that we're his children and further in the New Testament. We have that picture that Jesus talks about in the parables of the father who's just got his arms open waiting 
just waiting for the son to return and come back to him so he can give him a huge hug and throw him a huge feast. <laughs> this is the, the kind of relationship we have with God. He doesn't, his father didn't say, well, you shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't have done that. You know, he immediately just hugs him and said, I have you again. I thought you were dead. You know, you were lost, but now you're found. He doesn't care about where he's been. He doesn't talk about all of his past mistakes. Those are all forgiven, and he's welcomed back into the family as a true son of the father as we are true sons of the father welcome back into the family by the blood of jesus christ mm. and not only that he says that in in, in isaiah 54 it says that our maker is your husband mm. you know he looks at us like a wife he looks at the church you know the church of god is the wife yeah. the bride of christ he looks at us and he sees not some destitute woman anymore but he says uh, his beautiful wife. Mm. You know, imagine that, you know, if you've gone to a wedding before, just seeing how they the two love each other. I remember when I went to my brother's wedding, when his his wife came out, you know, he just broke down crying with tears of joy and happiness. <laughs> and all I could think about is that's how Jesus' face is going to look like. He's going to see his bride and he's going to tr- cry with <laughs> tears of joy and happiness because he just loves us so much mm. and he's like this is what i i die for and it's this is a good thing <laughs> this is a good thing and that's incredible to think about not yeah. because of us but because he has made us beautiful he yeah. has made us this amazing <laughs> wife that he just cannot wait to to be with mm. and this is our inheritance throughout all Time. Not only that, but it says that Jesus is the firstborn among bitter brethren. He's our mm. brother. Mm. He's our brother who is giving us access to a relationship with the Father. Yes. The same kind of relationship in the sense that Jesus had with the Father. Mm. I, how do you even <laughs> Just comprehend unfathomable. That? Like, yeah. That's what you were talking about. Yeah. How the, that perfect unity of love mm. that Jesus and the Father had. He's bringing us into that <laughs> as brethren with Jesus. He's bringing us into that. Mm. Praise God. That's incredible. That's incredible, y'all. Um, man, uh, there's so much more we could say. <laughs> yeah. We could just talk about God and we could just talk about the glory of God and the atonement all day. Um, you know, what really seals the deal on this wedding is. The, our sins have been atoned for on the cross and then three days later you know uh, a week ago we celebrated Easter yep. and that's the day that is famously known to be the day the resurrection day it's the day three days after Jesus died and was buried he rose again to life and that's supposed to symbolize this rebirth well that's 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 what sealed our that's what sealed the the payment for sin, showing showing the world that he is God and he can do anything he wants, and this is how he's going to pay mm. pay for sin. But it also symbolizes the new life of the believer, and that that's what we're going to be getting into next podcast, calling for a response. It's the scriptures, this whole gospel message. It's not just to be left alone as as oh yeah, that's really cool. You know, we should think about that pre- periodically. Now it's a call to full submission. It's a call to repentance. Mm-hmm. It's a call to forgiveness of sins. And it has implications for each and every individual on this planet. And that's what we're going to be getting into next episode. Right. Talking about the response of the sinner to the gospel. 
and you know when we're talking about all this how Jesus paid for our paid for our sins with the price of his blood you know the Bible makes it very clear that this is not for everybody for everybody but mm-hmm. only for those who repent and accept that sacrifice that Jesus gave for them with faith And so, you know, the Bible says that the steadfast love of the Lord is on those who fear him. This idea of that God's love that lasts forever is only on those who fear him, who those who have been brought into this relationship with him. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about how do you respond to the gospel? What are the different types of responses you can give? And as a Christian, how should you view preaching the gospel to others and to yourself and Mm. how important is this message on a day-to-day basis Mm. yeah that's really good josh you want to pray us out man yeah father we just thank you and praise you Mm -hmm. and worship you above all else for sending your son jesus to be that propitiation that satisfying sacrifice that passover lamb Mm -hmm. that he would be willing to endure the punishment, the beatings, the torture, the the ridicule, the shame, the, the despising, and the rejection, and the wrath of God. Yes, Lord. That he would be willing to take all that on himself for us, mm-hmm. and for the most importantly for you, Father. We just thank you and praise you that he was obedient, unlike us. Mm-hmm. That he was obedient to death unlike us, God. Father, we just pray that you would forgive us and cleanse us and make us like the taxpayer who realizes how unworthy and how how much he deserves your wrath, but says, be merciful to God, me to God. I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me. Mm. I know that I'm horrible. Be merciful mm. to me. He cries and takes refuge in the one true God. Lord, we just pray that all those who listen to this podcast and all those around the world who have not accepted you would just see just that, Lord, even especially during this time, that they would see how wicked they are, how much they deserve death and punishment, God, mm. and that they would say, be merciful to me. Yes, Lord. Be merciful to me. Father, we just thank you for the atoning work of Jesus Christ. We know that it was sealed because you didn't just stay dead. You mm. rose from the grave <laughs> the promises are sealed every single promise throughout scripture is sealed mm-hmm. by the blood of jesus christ and he raised he was raised from the dead to prove that it happened and we know that you didn't leave him dead Amen. but you brought him to life and we thank you that we can have that same life we just praise you and thank you and pray that for all the believers out there that they would just constantly be feeding on these, including ourselves, God. We just pray that we constantly be thinking about these things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Wartime Theology. If you have any other topics you'd like discussed, be sure to DM us on our Instagram page at Wartime Theology.